Welcome to Marin Costello Radio, where we have intentional conversations with impactful people, your weekly dose of motivation, inspiration, and entrepreneurship. Join me as we explore the ins and outs of building and running a business, interview leaders across all industries, and find the common denominator beneath it all. This is Marin Costello Radio. Ladies and gents, we have such a special human back on the pod today, my chosen family, Kara Dykert Campbell. Along with being one of the most amazing humans I know, Kara is an executive coach who specializes in embodiment work. She empowers women to restore their relationship with self and deeply connect to their intuitions so they can create meaningful and integrated work in the world. Kara helps women retether to a sense of deep self-trust. She guides women back home to their bodies and helps them get clear on what they want so that they can create the space to invite it in. She's partnered with brands such as Darling, Ugg, Sorel, Aloe Yoga, and so many more to create connective and meaningful experiences and retreats that draw women into greater relationship with self. She has worked with clients all over the world to remind women what it means to truly live a nourishing life. Kara was featured on Marin Costello Radio in season one, and since we got a great intro into the behind the scenes of the woman that is Kara Campbell, we're going to start this interview with some fun facts. She was a celebrity chef in LA for eight years and is a big believer that food is a modality to help us connect to our bodies, and when we connect to our bodies, we thus unlock our lives. Number two, she wrote a cookbook called Toast, which is one of my personal faves, and it has been gifted to so many people in my life. Kara married her soulmate in Pioneer Town, California, and I can confirm it was an epic wedding. Her favorite food is a cheeseburger, same, and her husband, Caleb Campbell, who was also on season one of Marin Costello Radio, used a pickup line about a local cheeseburger spot when they first met, and it worked. Number five, Kara became a mama in January of this year to the one and only Sophie London, aka Bambina. Number six, she loves reading and is always finding new books to inspire her. And number seven, Kara believes we are all made with purpose and dreams inside of us that are guides to live out our dream life. So I'm sure as you guys can tell, um, all of my conversations with Kara are very dull and service level. (laughs) (laughs) And we rarely get to the meaningful stuff. I I kid. Hello, my friend. How are you? Oh my gosh. I'm so good. I'm squeezing you so tight through this Zoom call. I know. Honestly, same. But I do think our paths are going to cross pretty soon. I have, I have a feeling. I have a very they good are. feeling. They absolutely are because Marin, guess what? What? We just bought a house. <laughs> Wait, literally since I talked to you yesterday, you bought a house. Okay. Amazing. Way, dropping, dropping bombs on you on the podcast, but it's kind of fun. Everyone can celebrate, right? Um, so that means that we're probably going to be back when you're here, meaning that we're going to overlap in Nashville and get to actually hug each other in person. This is amazing. Tell us about that process. You know what? I'm going to tell you something that I'm learning in the process because this is really good. And I have been thinking about it this morning. How shopping right now is the most horrible experience. <laughs> the market is insane. Everything feels wildly overpriced. Every house is a bidding war. And Caleb and I have been really thinking about buying a house since the beginning of the year. And we have put a lot of offers in and lost a lot of offers. Um, But I'll tell you, the first time we wrote an offer, I fell in love with this house. 
I was like wildly in love with it. I was, I was imagining Sophie playing in the front yard. I was imagining Caleb learning how to grill and making us dinner. <laughs> like so many, you get so invested in the imagining of what could be. We wrote an offer and we came in second. And the couple said to us, we really wanted to choose you, but uh, we had to take the heart out of it. And then fast forward, we fell in love with our, the second house that we wrote an offer on and different story, different vibe, but again, fell deeply in love, liked it better than the first house, wrote an offer and we were the best offer. And last minute, uh, the neighbors swooped in and shared kind of a very vulnerable thing in their own family and ended up writing an offer that was lower than ours, but the owners had compassion and said, okay, you can have the house. So again, we lost because of heart, right? So both times we lost because of heart, but in different ways. Since then we've written quite a few offers, but about a week ago, my, I was on a walk with a friend and my friend Allie said, the universe always levels up. The universe always levels up. And I was like, I want to believe that's true, but this feels like really bad dating where you're in a dating scenario and you're getting heartbroken and it sucks and I don't want to date anymore. And should I even, you know, like all of the stuff. And yesterday morning we stumbled on this house. And when I tell you, I like it more than all the others. I love it more than all the others. It's ideal for our family, the way it's laid out, everything about it. I could go on about it, but it also has a lot of um, like, it needs some some loving care. It needs someone to see the potential and the beauty and to really create that. And you know, I love making beauty out of ashes. So we're gonna be doing a lot of fun house projects in the next few months. All that to say, we put in the offer, we got it this morning and it's just wild. It's wild in hindsight, living out this experience of heartbreak, 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 thinking there's not gonna be anything better, grieving the loss of losing something, going through the process again of like, ah, oh, like getting yourself warmed up to a new layout and a new floor plan and a new, and then it just happens. And I'm thrilled about it. I'm so thrilled. Oh my gosh. Well, two things that came to mind. One, you are clearly in surrender with, mm. it seems like you loved the place, but you were in such surrender and didn't hold it too tight to where mm. the universe was able to place it in your hand you know, so perfectly. And two, the thing that came to mind of, um, that one of our mutual friends, Rachel Brown, the amazing artist who was also on season one of Marin Costello radio, she said to me, and this has stuck with me, I think obviously because of the industry that I'm in, but God does not dangle gold and give you silver. Mm, That's good. Oof. That's so good. And when you were talking about this journey of finding your, your now home, your future home, that's exactly what it sounded like. Like, this is really sweet. Or, you know, that, that image, um, that cartoon drawing, I don't know if it's a meme technically, but that cartoon drawing of Jesus holding a really big teddy bear behind his back (laughs) and the little girl in front of him holding really tightly, a very small teddy bear, like, no, this is my favorite one. And he's like, I know, but trust me, give it to me because I have a bigger one to hand to you. That is exactly what this sounds like and feels like from you telling me. Yeah. And, you know, I think it's really important that you call out the surrender piece. I, I will say that's not my natural inclination. I want to hold on tightly and I want to grip and I want to like be in the pits of sorrow and throw a, a, a tantrum about it. And I did, I grieved it and I was sad and I cried about all of, all of the houses that we lost. I really had to grieve it, but in grieving it, I was able to let it go and be in this posture of surrender. And I think 
I think that's so crucial when we talk about allowing God to give us bigger things. We have to have our hands open, right? Like we have to have the room to hold the new thing that's coming. And so often I know in my own life, I've always wanted to grip onto the past. I've wanted to grip onto the things that felt familiar and comfortable. And I think the surrender piece that you named is so, so important to point out because it, it takes that in order to receive the more. It takes the letting go, the dying, the surrender, the grieving in order to welcome in the new. That's so true. One of the things that I have just admired and respected so much about you is the concept of permission that you mm. give yourself to move from one chapter to the next. Mm. And I, I think it's so interesting for me because I've been doing jewelry for decades now that sure. I had some gigs in the beginning and, you know, would work every end and odd job to, to make ends meet um, while doing jewelry. But, you know, you recently had an, an amazing opportunity to cater a retreat in Florida, which was the last time you and I saw each other. Um, and I remember you distinctly saying, like, I think this is my last, this is my last time doing this. And mm. to me, that's, that's the end of an era. I mean, yeah. what a beautiful, what a beautiful final chapter to that season of your life. But I'd love for you to talk about seeing the seasons of your life as chapters and moving through them because they're fairly distinct. I would argue mm. sure, there's an underlying <laughs> thread because you are the common denominator, but, but going from a celebrity chef to an embodiment coach and everything in the, in between seems yeah. to be, they seem to have their own unique, um, places in your life story. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I love that you call them chapters because that's what it, it does seem like they are. And it's interesting, as you said that I was thinking about how, if I, if I read through a novel I'm I'm reading Viola Davis's, um, biography right now, and it's, beyond brilliant it's so brilliant and each chapter is quite distinct right in a biography or in a story and yet there's characters that are pulled from certain chapters and brought to the next and then there's certain stories that kind of repeat themselves or weave around and i feel like that's that's how i'm how i'm really viewing my life and right now i'm working as an embodiment coach and i work with women who are executives who are really looking to up level their lives and it's interesting how I feel like I get to draw a lot of parallels from my time as a chef, because as a chef, my entire intention was to find amazing, wonderful ingredients and figure out something magical to make with that. And in coaching, we do the same thing, right? We pull the gold from your life. We pull and extract anything marvelous there. And then we ask, what can we create with this magic dust, right? And so, <clears throat> excuse me. We have similar, I have similar themes in my working and it's, it's just the expression of that, the manifestation of that, that looks different. So for a while it was chefing and now it's coaching, but it's the same thread. It's the same through line of at the end of the day, I want you to feel seen, known. Uh, I want you to trust yourself. I want you to feel nourished. And we get those things when we take the ingredients of our life and really create magic with it, right? So I love that you named them chapters because that's really what they are. And I think too, piggybacking on what you said about permission, it's interesting. I'm now in this new season of mama life, right? I'm now a mama, which is a totally other chapter <laughs> full of all kinds of things. And 
I, I had a hard time letting go of the food world. I was a chef for so many years in Los Angeles and I, you know, I, it, with COVID with 2020, the world ended. And so all of my chefing jobs were forced to an end. And at that time, at the same time, it was starting to feel like it wasn't aligned for me anymore. And so it, it felt like this coupling with the universe of the doors all being shut and the alignment not feeling like it was there anymore. But to get to the place where I gave myself permission to pursue something new, to name myself as something new, right? When you've had an identity as chef, et cetera, et cetera, for so long, to now say I'm a coach requires a lot of permission and a lot of grace and compassion for self because, or, or I guess more of a dropping of expectation of self because I'm now stepping into this new career that I don't have a backstory with, right? And I'm getting great uh, testimonials and reviews, et cetera, but I'm not, I don't have a backstory with it like I do chefing. So it's been an evolution of permission for me to really allow myself to say, yeah, this is the new me and this is the new thing I'm creating. And then with mama life, man, it, it just couples on because now I'm a mama and I want, I'm still an entrepreneur and now I'm going to be a homeowner and I'm going to do, you know, what all, whatever all of these identities are. And I think one of the most uh, healing, healing things for me has been allowing myself to take on new identities, right? Right after I had Sophie, <clears throat> I went to a, probably when she was two weeks old, I went to a women's group. I got invited to this girl's night. My friend Christy was hosting. And we were all going around and sharing. And I, of course, am two weeks postpartum and very hormonal and full of all of the emotions. <laughs> so I was crying at the group sharing. I said, I don't know who I am anymore. I don't know who I am. For years of my life, I was Kara the chef, or I was Kara the connector, or I was Kara the retreat host, or I was Kara the whatever I did, right? And all of my identities now are quite new. So I live in a new city. I have a new baby. I uh, have a relatively new career. You know, we're going on year two, but still relatively new in the <laughs> in the realm of career. And all of these identities feel so new. And I think part of what has allowed me to do that is this permission slip to say, it's okay to evolve. I want to wake up 10 years from now. I want to wake up at 47 and be a totally different human, right? I want to be so different in my thinking and in my, in my work and in the way I parent, I want to be different. And I want that, that to be growth, right? I want to live a life of growth. And I think that permission and growth go hand in hand to allow us to actually evolve. Long-winded, <laughs> long-winded, but hopefully that answers you. No, that's amazing. I think that where we end up at some point, we are exposed to something that leads us to where we end up. So what was your first exposure with coaching? Because I know you to be someone who also receives coaching from other yeah. people. Um, yeah. So you, you practice what you preach. Um, mm. What was your first exposure to that world? Yeah, I mean, it's a non-negotiable for me if you're going to be a coach, you need to have a coach, right? Because we're taking people on journeys and we need people to help guide our own journey. I think my first, my first exposure to coaching, and I don't even know that it was formally called coaching at the time, was I worked in residence life uh, when I was in grad school and I had a group of mentees 
where I would meet with them weekly for an hour and we would talk about their life and we would brainstorm and we would talk about any conflict they were going through. And it was, it was more, uh, by title, it was more of a mentorship, but really what we were doing was coaching, right? I was a sounding board. They were processing the things that they were in. And then we were coming up with strategy and goal around what was going on in their lives. And so that was when I was 24. Since then, I joke that I have informally been a coach most of my life. <laughs> I, most of my girlfriends who have started businesses, I have been on the sidelines, helping them ideate, brainstorm, create, strategize, pull together pieces, build self-confidence, be able to step into these new places. <clears throat> and so I've always loved, I've always loved that, right? I joke that I'm like a business midwife. I love helping people birth. <laughs> right? That's so genius. Really, I love helping people birth what's inside of them. And when we get to that point of like, I can't do it. I don't know if this will ever come out. Yes, it will. But you need someone there in the process to help you to, to be your cheerleader, to guide you through this territory that maybe you don't know. And I've found that I've always done that in relationship. And so it, it was kind of a seamless transition. I was working with a coach uh, in early 2020. And when COVID hit, when the pandemic hit, I, you know, I said to her, I said, do you think I could do this? Kind of like looking for some validation. Do you think I would be, be okay at this? And she gave me great feedback. And she said, you already do. You already do this and you're phenomenal at it. So start doing it. Yeah. What a blessing. What a blessing. Yeah. What a gift. What, an what a gift. What a gift when we have people that name those things in our lives, right? I mean, you are one of the people in my life that do that for me. And it's, I think it's very easy for us to just be ourselves and to be in our little worlds, but to have other people shed light on the light that we bring um, yes. is so telling, is so telling yeah. and so powerful. Yeah. I was at lunch today, Marin, with a girlfriend and um, I said, I, I got to get back because I'm, I'm going to get a, get on a podcast with Marin. And she said, oh, Marin from your baby shower. She remembered you. It was my friend, Jenna. And I said, yeah. And I said, what I love about Marin is that she in relationship requires me to level up, but not in a way that feels like, um, like I'm not something yet. It's just by being in your presence, I recognize what's possible for my own life. Right. And that's the kind of friendship and the kind of relationships really that we, that we want to find ourselves in the, the ones that are symbiotic and allow us to really step into the best version of self. And you do that for me. I just want you to know. Oh my gosh. I don't think that we have enough time for me to take a moment of silence and truly absorb that, but, <laughs> but I receive it and I will, I will table it for later. So I don't get emotional while hosting this podcast. I love it. I love it. Oh God, I love you. Thank you for that amazing compliment. Oh my gosh. Thank you. So you have a little nugget now and I since I've known you, I imagine you to be very, very close to your inner child. But mm. I want to know, how has Bambina encouraged you to get even closer to your inner child? Yeah, oh, I love this question. This question makes me want to cry just by the question. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, for anyone who's had a child, I'm sure this resonates. Motherhood is an endless invitation to work, to inner work. Mm. It's an endless invitation 
to explore more of self and to be mirrored back all kinds of versions of self, right? So with Sophie, watching her become is, is the most wondrous thing of all time. Watching this person become a human is marvelous. It's remarkable. Today, I think I told you she, she drank water for the first time and she, her mind was blown. She was literally ecstatic about water, giggling and like, you know, jazz hands. <laughs> the way I watch her with wonder always has me thinking two things. One, what if we, what if we saw ourselves with that kind of wonder eyes, right? Like what if I was able to see myself with like, oh my gosh, water. <laughs> humans, but, but to experience myself evolving and growing and the celebration of that, if I could celebrate that. I think a lot of times, especially with the clients I work with, it's so easy to be hard on ourselves. It's so easy to know the things we need to improve or to know the things that we did wrong or know the things that we want to get better at. But to sit in this place of wonder and awe and celebration towards self, it's actually quite vulnerable, right? Because what it says is, I celebrate me for just existing. I celebrate me for just being. And with Sophie, she literally cannot do anything. <laughs> she can't feed herself. She can't bathe herself. She needs full care. And at the same time, I am obsessively in love with her, right? She hasn't done anything for me. She's not doing, doing anything for herself. But my, my love for her is so vast and wide simply because she exists. Mm. So that's been a really beautiful mirror towards inner child of, of just giving me actual practical legs on how to be with my inner child, right? On how to actually sit with her and love on her and, and have wonder towards her. The other piece that's been pretty remarkable is a lot of a lot of my inner child healing work has been around parent relationships. And I've had complicated parent relationships and I am very stubborn like my mother. And so we when when I was younger, we butt heads so hard. And what's interesting, my mom would say this to me in my 20s. She would say, once you're a mother, you're going to understand. And I would get so mad. I would be like, don't put that on me. I don't even know if I want to have kids. And there's actually a lot of truth in it. Now that I'm a mother, I understand that when I, when I look at Sophie and I look at the way I, I tend to her and I love her and Caleb and I dote on her every day and we walk and we like peer over her crib and when she wakes up from a nap and we say, oh my gosh, welcome to the world. Like we're so <laughs> excited. And when we, when we do that, one of the things that keeps passing through my mind is my mom did this for me. My mom did this for me over and over and over again to the very best of her ability, right? She had all of the tools that she had and she was operating with the very best of her ability towards me. And it's, it's created this deep well of compassion for my parents where there's so many things where, you know, there's childhood traumas and things that, that have felt very hard. And this doesn't discount those. Those things are still real and need to be processed and need to be grieved. But it does give me this great landscape of compassion towards my parents, understanding how much, I mean, they have five children. <laughs> how much they did this for each one of us and how 
how much that required of them, right? Like how selfless that actually was. So that's been interesting with my inner child too, to just recognize she's able to let go of some of that angst towards mom and dad, right? She's able to let go of some of that, that bitterness or that resentment because she's starting to see a greater landscape of what actually was going on. That's amazing. Perhaps this question should have been asked prior to that last question, but in your words, what is inner child work? Yeah, great question. Well, I think to, to understand inner child work, you have to understand that all versions are all versions of us are here at all times, right? So in this conversation, as I'm talking to Marin, my seven-year-old self is here, my three-year-old self is here, my we're eternal beings, right? So all these versions of ourselves are in any given moment. And when we show up in a moment and we have some kind of dramatic response or we have some kind of reaction and we don't really understand why we reacted that way, right? Like I'm an adult, I should know better. Probably what's going on is that there's a version of ourselves that feels quite wounded by something that got triggered in the current setting. And so inner child work really is allowing yourself to go back to these versions of self and give that version of self what she or he needed at the time. I know for me, I was the middle of five kids and I needed a lot of attention. I was a loud, rambunctious child who had a lot to say. And with five kids, you just don't get a lot of one-on-one attention. And so in my adult life, it triggered a lot of feelings of abandonment or uh, not being paid attention to. So I found myself overcompensating in those areas, right? Like pay attention to me, pay attention to me or ending up in relationships where I was trying to earn attention or played out in a a, a myriad of ways. But really the work for me was to recognize, oh, there's this little wounded version of myself who is just needing somebody to hear her. And I get to give that to myself. I don't actually have to rely on any other person to do that. Again, my parents did the best they could, could with the tools they had. They didn't have the tools that they needed to give me the amount of attention that maybe I needed. And so I now, adult Kara, gets to sit with little girl Kara and say, hey, what do you need attention in? How can I listen to you? How can I make sure that you feel so safe and so heard that these wounds from your childhood don't have to affect future versions of self? Does that make sense? Oh my gosh, beyond. I mean, I only ask that because my journey in therapy started with inner child work. My therapist was an inner child specialist. And so I went to him and said, Hey, this is my issue that I'm dealing with right now. And he said, cool, we're going to go from ages zero to seven and then seven to 14 and then 14 to 21 and in seven year increments. And so I just wanted to hear from your perspective, because I know you to be such a wise and spiritual being. And also because you are an embodiment coach, and I'm sure that you pull uh, this skill set of doing your own, um, you know, trauma work and healing work, you know, and, and pull that into your work with your clients. I just wanted to get your take on inner child work. And I don't think I could have imagined a more beautiful answer. Like that just (laughs) was so, uh, so all encompassing and holistic. It was so beautiful. Well, and it's interesting too, because embodiment work and inner child work go hand in hand, because if we imagine, you know, the body carries all of our scars. It carries all of our trauma, excuse me. It carries all of our wounding. And so we, we will have body responses to things that, that are coming from a childhood experience, 
right? And so my body might react in a certain way, but it might actually come from a seven-year-old memory. And so embodiment work and inner child healing, they're like, they're in a marriage because when we have to do them together, we have to allow the body to release the trauma and we have to comfort this seven-year-old version of self so that she feels safe enough to let that trauma go. The thing that I love the most about inner child work is that we don't need to hold on to the traumas from our past, the traumas from our childhood. I think that there is such a beautiful emphasis on healing that as opposed to, well, this is the way that it's already always been. So this is the way that it's always going to be. No, there's agency and permission um, in healing those moments of your life so that you can move forward in freedom and surrender. Yeah, absolutely. Mary, that's so actually crucial to point out. When we do inner child work, we take back agency because as a child, we don't have a choice. We don't have a choice of how something happens to us. And when we do inner child work and we go back and we take that power back, we now have agency to say, it doesn't have to be this way. We're not a victim to our lives anymore. We don't have to be victims to our lives. And what I find so often when we start to do inner child work and we start to uncover things in the body and unleash this stored memory and stored trauma, people take their power back. They recognize they don't have to be a victim. They're, and they're not a victim, right? Like they're actually very free from that and can be free from that. And so I think that's one of the most powerful things with, uh, with inner child work is that it literally empowers you to take your power back. When we do inner child work, we take back agency. That will be plastered pretty much everywhere now going forward in my life. Yes. <laughs> oh my gosh, that was yes. so powerful question for you. What did you think motherhood was going to be like? And what is motherhood actually like? Ooh, love this question. What did I think motherhood was going to be like? Um, I think I thought I would love it. And I do. I was very scared with, with, um, valid reason. It's terrifying. My, My anxiety has never been higher since having a child. (laughs) Um, I think I thought uh, it would be harder than it is, honestly. And uh, granted, I'm four months in, and so I've got a lot of heart ahead of me. But what it's actually been um, is monotonous. Mm. It's the same thing over and over and over. And as a seven on the Enneagram and as someone who loves change and loves newness and travel and adventure and going out to dinner and hanging out with friends, that's been the most humbling piece to me is can I be okay doing the same thing over and over and over again, right? Motherhood, especially the early days of motherhood is Groundhog's Day. You wake up and you're like, am I going to do this again? I'm going to feed you every three hours. I'm going to change your butt 16 times a day. I'm going to rock you to sleep and then wake you up and then carry you around. And I say, when I say that, it sounds like I'm being negative about it and I'm not. It's actually one of the most remarkable things to me. <clears throat> but if, if I had not done the healing work that I've done in my life, I would not be able to hold this. Right. I would try. I think I would try to escape the monotony. I would try to get out, try to distract, try to self self indulge or cope or whatever, whatever the thing is. 
but I'm really learning a lot and learning how to just wake up in the morning and be like, oh, we're going to do this all over again. And someone said this to me, or I read it right before I had Sophie. They said, there's always going to be a last. There's going to be a last time you change a diaper, a last time you rock them back to sleep, a last time they ask you to pick them up, a last time you drop them off at school, a last time, whatever the thing is. And when I read that or heard it, I can't remember, it gave me such a profound perspective towards her. And I've, I've been really trying to hold that in these monotonous moments of this, this will not last this, this diaper changing <laughs> in my last <laughs> few years, but then it will be done. The nursing, it's going to end. And all of these things that, you know, cause sleep deprivation and make us tired. And I'm not a very good human when I'm sleep deprived, <laughs> all of these things, they're going to go away. And then I'm going to look back and I'm going to be like, oh, I miss the days of cuddling with my baby and just laying around. And so I really have been trying to be as present as possible in the monotony and let it be my teacher. Let it be this, this sacred time where when something happens over and over, I can just let it be that. That's so so that's been something, yeah, that's been something I, did not know and did not expect, but has been very powerful for me. Well, along with the monotony is also the exciting. So let's talk about Bambina's famous first meltdown. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, yes, yes. (laughs) I just think it was so, it's the last time I saw you, she was in a similar season of, in from what I could pick up, just being very uncomfortable. And you and Caleb approached it with such lightness and I don't want to say humor to make a joke out of it, but, but playfulness. Right. And, Mm -hmm. and there was an element of fun, even though she was really gripping. Um, And you just candidly said to me, I know. And you candidly said to me, Oh, I, I totally lost it with her first meltdown. And to see that, that quick transformation, she's only been with us for four months. Um, Talk to us about, the first meltdown versus maybe what you went through during the meltdown when I was with you. Um, yeah. Because what you, what you explained to me was so different from the woman that I observed um, soothing her child. Mm, yeah. Yeah. So her very first meltdown was here and, and my sister was in town and it, my sister and I were home and Caleb had gone, he was traveling for work and that first meltdown uh, you know, for any mother, I'm sure is so disorienting because the screams <laughs> are so enormous and so loud and you, you can't figure it out. You can't figure out what's wrong. And for me, I started to get panicky in that she's getting panicky. I'm getting panicky. And what's really interesting about motherhood is she's still a part of my body. I feel her, right? So when she's screaming in pain, I'm feeling her pain. I feel like I have pretty high empathy in life. This is another level of like, oh, you're my body and your body shared a body and now you're now you're screaming in pain and it's causing me pain. And so I lost it hysterically. And my sister, thank goodness, was there. She's so grounding. She's helping me calm down. And we eventually got Sophie to calm down. And honestly, she was probably overtired and it probably wasn't a big deal. But it was that first experience of I can't solve your pain. I can't solve it. And I am your mama and I want to solve your pain. 
And I think fast forward to the meltdown that she had with you. What I'm recognizing is that I cannot solve Sophie's pain. <laughs> and I mean that more on a metaphorical level. I can solve her immediate pain of, you know, having a dirty diaper or being hungry. But I think what I'm what I'm wrestling with, and even as I say this out loud to you, is is I don't have I don't have the ability to heal her pain. I have the ability to comfort her in pain and to be with her in pain and be with her in a tantrum. But the most dramatic response that came from the first meltdown was because I felt that inability to solve the problem and feel and, and solve her pain, right? And with the recognition that I don't have that power when she had the meltdown when I was with you, I, I think I have felt more like I, I can just enter into it with her, right? Let me be here with you. What's going on? What can we do? How can we, how can we help you? And again, she's a baby. She doesn't have words. She can't, she can't articulate what she needs yet. But I want that to be my posture as a mother in general. I can't solve your problems, but I will come and I will help and I will assist and I will sit with you in all of them. I will be beside, right? And so I think that shifted for me, that has shifted for me. Now, listen, I still get very emotional when she has a meltdown. <laughs> Painful. It's so, uh, we're, she's four months now and we're transitioning her to her crib. She was co sleeping with us. And, you know, mothers do this in so many different ways. And my biggest mantra as a mother is do what works for you and do what creates peace in your own home. And we decided at four months, it's not peaceful to have her co sleeping with us anymore. So we have been in the process of transitioning her to her bed. And Marin, I don't know if you know this, but there are very, very strong opinions about sleep training. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and, you know, I read, I've read a lot of stuff around sleep training and I'm not going to offer my advice on this podcast because honestly, I don't have it. Do what makes you feel peace. But for us, I read a couple of things about sleep training. And before having Sophie, I would have said that I was going to be a sleep training parent. Now having Sophie, it is very difficult for me to allow her to cry in the crib for a few minutes. I know that she's not in pain. I know she's going to be okay. But again, that, that, that body connection of hearing her cry, my, my intuitive mama bear fiery self wants to do anything at all costs to solve and protect. And I, and I love that part of me, right? Like I actually really love that that comes out. So even in this transition to crib, I'm, I'm playing with my intuition. What feels, what feels right for her? What feels safe for her? Uh, can, can I leave her for one extra minute in the crib and, and allow her to learn to be there on her own? And, and that's each mother's individual journey, right? It's each, it's each mama's individual intuitive journey of, of what works with my kid and with this child and, and what feels safe for them. But, it is a process and it is a journey and I'm still in it. <laughs> four months, baby, four months. Four months. You and your wonderful husband have a famous saying that has truly transformed my life, especially in relationship. Mm. When one of you wins, both of you lose. Mm. I would love to learn about how that phrase to abide by came about and also yeah. how that mantra has shifted from being a couple to a family. Yeah, yeah, so good. 
feels so relevant in the world right now. If one of us wins, both of us lose, right? 100%. Just given the climate, we're so, you know, we're so um, taught to take sides and to argue opinions. And in a marriage, Caleb and I very early on said, we're in this to understand one another. We're not in this to, to win a battle. We're not in this to prove each other who <clears throat> prove to each other who's more right. So this mantra of if one of us wins, both of us lose has been really powerful for us because it allows us to enter into conflict with the, the posture of how can I understand you? How can I understand you? If you, if you have an opinion that's totally different than me, how can I understand you? And <clears throat> it works really well in a marriage. <laughs> it's actually the most beautiful thing. I think about it for our political climate right now. And I'm like, I wish, I wish we could all enter in with this posture of how can I understand you? You're coming, you're coming with a totally different backstory, a totally different upbringing, a totally different X, Y, or Z. And you're landing right here in this moment at this time with these opinions. And instead of fighting you and trying to prove to you that my opinions are right, how can I understand you? And how can you understand me? Again, in politics, I don't, really believe that that's very possible <laughs> Who knows? but in marriage it's been such a gift to us uh to really approach every argument that way every um you know every conflict every conversation that way of how can i enter in to your experience and it's created a lot of connection and intimacy for us last night <clears throat> when we were you know, we had put in the offer on this house and I see the vision of the house. Okay. I'm the one who can see the vision. Caleb is the one who goes to Nordstrom and he buys the clothes off of the mannequin. <laughs> I, I'm the one who, who can eclectically put together pieces to make beauty. And he said last night, he said, I'm really trusting you on this. And I said, no, 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 no. I don't, I don't want that pressure. Like, I don't want the pressure of me being trusted. I want us to make this decision collaboratively and together. And so it turned into this really beautiful conversation where he, you know, he was explaining in his past relationships, he always felt the need to use <clears throat> the statement, I told you so. I told you so. Mm. I, yeah, I told you so. I knew better and I told you so. And so last night we were processing through, he was, you know, he was going through this uh, internal journey of what if we get the house and, and what if we pay too much and what if we lose all our money and you know all the worst case scenarios and he he found himself forecasting that and having this blaming attitude towards me of saying well i told you so we should have we should have bought a different house and so we came back into the present moment so that we could consciously together choose no this is both what this is what we both want we're both wanting this and just because you can't see the vision doesn't mean that you don't want it. You want it the same, but the vision just isn't there. And so that was a really interesting moment of recognizing this, this concept of, of if we both win, you know, if one of us wins, we both lose, works not only in conflict, but also in, in preventing you from having conflict. It allows you to forecast down the road how, how you might potentially blame a person uh, get angry with a person, et cetera, and backtrack it into the present moment, reorient, reorganize so that you don't end up with those future problems. So it's been an incredible mantra. 
with Sophie, with having a family now, um, we haven't had too many uh, parent conflicts. I'm sure we will. <laughs> I walked out. Oh, you'll appreciate this. I walked out. Our friend, our mutual friend, Whitney, was visiting me and she was staying here. And I walked out and Whitney and Caleb and Sophie were sitting on the couch eating dinner. And Sophie was watching TV like this four month old just staring at the TV. And I looked at Caleb and I was like, absolutely not. <laughs> four months old. Right. And it was it, we all laughed about it. I have I have pretty strong opinions on screens at a young age and there's things that will come up that we're going to really have to work together to decide what's our mutual understanding that that's best for this child right you think it should be this way I think it should be this way what's our mutual understanding and the beauty of that is in in looking for a mutual understanding we're constantly having great conversations we're constantly allowing each other to evolve and grow and draw out these parts of one another that, you know, I, I'm learning about him, things I, I've never known. And, and I hope it continues to be that way because he's an evolving human and I'm an evolving human. And so this mantra really allows us to constantly be in that evolution together. That's so beautiful. That is so beautiful. What would your advice be to three different groups of people, to future coaches, to mm. partners and to mamas? Uh, can I start with partners? Absolutely. Okay, partners. <laughs> if you don't have something nice to say, don't say something at all. <laughs> That's brilliant. <laughs> Meaning, I mean it in two ways. I mean it in our language carries so much power. And I know that I, I carry an incredible power to encourage uplift, empower my husband, right? I carry that power because I have words and because I am, I am in deep, intimate connection with him. And this doesn't mean we don't have boundaries and we don't hold people accountable and we don't say hard things. It means that we, we say things covered in love and we say them with, with the knowledge that I believe the absolute best about you. And that's what I'm going to speak. And then part two of that with partners, I recently was at a dinner and there was a, a handful of women who were complaining about their husbands. And I came home, I felt really grieved by it. And I said to Caleb, I, I promise you, I will never speak ill of you in a crowd. Mm. I, like I won't throw you under the bus. Now, there are times where I will process stuff in my marriage with my girlfriends because that's important, right? But, but I will always hold him to the highest esteem when I'm speaking of him in public. And I, I think that's such a, a way to create a safety in, in partnership, right? If, if, if I trust that he speaks only gold of me and I only speak gold of him, it just creates this beautiful safety. And so I feel like that's my advice for partners. Uh, my advice for mamas is be really, really gentle with yourself. As gentle as you are with your child, turn that same lens on you and practice it over and over because not only does it feel good and it's the best to be gentle with self, but also your, ch your children learn not from what you tell them and not from what you uh, teach them about, but really from what you model towards self. So 
I always say, you know, I wish my mom would been would have been a little nicer to herself because I learned from what she modeled towards self. I didn't learn from what she told me. And in the same way, I want to be a mama who, when Sophie is growing up watching me, I want to be in the mirror being like, oh my gosh, I am so beautiful because I want her to know that about herself, right? I want her to look at herself and say, I'm so beautiful. So the only way she's going to know to do that is if I model what I want her to experience. So that's my mama advice. And coaches, ooh, I love this one. Um, I think my advice for coaches is never stop doing the work. Mm. Never think that there's an arrival point. I'm, I'm evolving in my coaching in a really vulnerable way that's pushing me to a lot of limits, right? I, I feel like I'm stepping up to this ledge and I'm looking over a cliff and I'm like, I think I want to jump, but it's really scary. And I wouldn't have gotten to the edge of that cliff if I had not been doing more work. I could have stayed in my coaching realm and, and with the clients I was working with, but I'm, I'm ready for this next evolution of clients. And to do that, it, it takes a lot of risk. And the risk only comes when I'm willing to do the work. So have your own coach. Be, be committed to the growth. Be committed to reading and learning and discovering and writing and finding and and continuously being on this inner exploration because that's how you coach well, right? You allow people to do that for themselves. Those are my three advices. So good. For someone who is new to the spiritual community or the practices, the practice of spirituality, where would you have them start? Say that it was it was a client of yours. If they were like, hey, this sounds interesting, or also I don't know anything about it. Yeah. What is it? Where do I go? What do I do? Yeah. Wow. This question, Marin. Um, you know, I think it starts with understanding where you came from because you're entering, you may be entering in right here, but you've got a past. And it might be some religious trauma. It might be a, a complete unknowing of anything religious. It might be a myriad of, of different things. So I think it's important to pinpoint where on a map you are and what feels like it will give you life spiritually, right? So I, I, I'm always pointing people back towards what's inside of them. We use, you know, we use this phrase that everything you need is already there. It's already there inside of you. And our work is to get the layers out of the way, to clear the stuff that's in the way so that we can actually experience what's already there. And so in the same way, God is already there, right? He's already there inside. And so is there anything you can remove, uncover, get out of the way so that you can fully experience that? That means a lot of different things to a lot of different people because people are coming in with so many different perspectives, right? But I think my my biggest piece of advice to someone who is, who is new is what sounds like something you wanna explore? Do you wanna explore meditation? Do you feel like that might be a way to connect with God? Do you wanna explore nature? Do you wanna explore some kind of art? What's a way that, that you feel like you could tap in to this divine, that, that is already here among all of us and is inside all of us, but is just waiting to be experienced. So really it's always a mirror back, right? Like, how do you wanna be, how do you wanna experience the divine? That is so beautiful. 
how do our listeners find you? Ah, great question. You know, I've been, um, I've been quiet on, on the social media. I've been in mama, mama mode, but I am on Instagram at by Kara Elise, E-L-I-S-E, K-A-R-A. You can link it. It's fine. <laughs> and then, and then by com is my website. And there you'll find information about coaching, about my group program, uh, about some courses that I have. And uh, beyond that, that's kind of where I am. I'm on, I'm on the internet and then I'm on the Instagram. <laughs> I love that. And if someone wanted to work with you, what would mm. the next steps be to take to do so? Yeah, absolutely. So I have a contact me page on my website and all my coaching uh, you know, clients book through that. Um, and if you're curious about coaching, if you're, if you're at all intrigued at what it looks like to have a coach, I do a free discovery call, which means we hop on a call and we play around with some of the ingredients of your life. And we look at what you might want to uh, evolve into, step into some areas of growth you might want to look at. And it's totally free and no strings attached. And I love doing that. So you can sign up for a free discovery call on my website. That's amazing. I love you. It's been an hour already somehow. Thank you so, so much. much. So fast. <gasps> Never enough time. Thank you so much Never. for being here and your wisdom and for sharing a small fraction of the amazing human that you are with our listeners. Um, I'm so grateful to have you as my chosen family and I can't wait to see you. And I'm so excited about your new home. Oh, I'm so excited. We can't wait to host you, Auntie Marin. Oh Come gosh. and stay with us. Love you so much. Give my best to the nugget and to your wonderful husband. I love you and I will see you very soon. Awesome. Ladies and gents, that interview was just beyond. A big thank you to my sweet friend, Kara, for coming on the show. And another thank you to our hosts at Dash Radio and producers at Island City Media. If you liked this episode, you can listen to it again on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Please leave a review so we can continue bringing you the people like Kara and the conversations that you love. Lastly, if you want to connect with me offline, you can find me at MarinCostello.com and MarinCostelloRadio on Instagram. Have a beautiful day, everyone. Thank you so much for tuning in, and we will see you next week. Mm-hmm.